Welcome to Village Church of Gurney Podcast. This week, we continue on in our series, Mission, Vision, and Values. The name of the sermon is called Who We Are, God's Word, Our Perfect Guide. And Pastor David will be preaching from Joshua 1, 1 through 9. Let's join Pastor David now. Father, we love you. And Lord, we ask that you would speak through your word, this living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword word, or this word through which you have chosen to reveal yourself. Uh, Father, that if you would have chosen to stay silent, we would have never known anything of you, but Lord, you have chosen to speak. You, you declare the, your glory and your handiwork through creation. You reveal the purposes of your will in redemptive history through your word. You have come to us in your son. You have given us your spirit that we might have your truth called back to our minds. Uh, You have guided us past, present, and future. And Father, you have given us each other to encourage, to strengthen, to pour into, to walk side by side with, to navigate this Christian journey together. So, Father, as we come to your word today, we ask that you would do what we have just sung, what we have just prayed. Speak, O Lord, that we might hear, that we might be, that Christ might be formed in us. And, Father, that we might carry on the work that you have called us to do. So, Father, we are here to listen. May you speak. And in your speaking, may we truly be changed, that you might be glorified in us and through us, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, uh, Moses, God's servant Moses, is dead. I hope that's not news to you. (laughs) This has happened a while back. But this is how the book of Joshua opens, with this At that time would have been absolutely earth-shattering news. Moses is dead. Moses. This is the Moses that has led God's people Israel out of Egypt. The Moses that saw uh, the plagues. Uh, The Moses that uh, uh, was there when God's mighty hand led Israel out of captivity to their Egyptian slave owners. This was the Moses that led God's people through the wilderness. Remember the the pillar of fire, the the cloud. This was the Moses that was there for the manna, for the quail, the ways in which God provided for God's people in uh, their wilderness wanderings. This is the Moses that saw water come from the rock. This is the Moses that met God on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. This Moses has died. Listen to what it says in Joshua chapter 1. If you have access to Scripture, meet me there. Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. If you have your Bible open, backtrack one page to the left the end of the book of Deuteronomy, in the final verses, Deuteronomy chapter 34, verses um, 
uh, 10, 11, and 12. It says that, And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, Deuteronomy 34, 11. None like him for all the signs and wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his servants, and to all his land. And for all the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel, no one's risen like him, this prophet that knew the Lord face to face. And now... The book of Joshua opens with some earth-shattering news to God's people at that time. Moses has died. And this undoubtedly would have put a, a somewhat of a shockwave through God's people. This would have upended everything. Uh, the questions would have started to flood in. What's next? Will God's faithfulness, has God's faithfulness ended with the ending of Moses? Are the glory days of God's people of Israel, are they going through the spin cycle and being unraveled and undone? Who's going to lead? What's in front of us? Will God see us through? That the dark times that Israel has faced and God has seen them through, will the dark times that they will face, will God still see them through? Every massive transition, isn't it, doesn't it, uh, raises these questions. Will God see his people through? Moses has died. So what happens next? God calls Joshua. God asks Joshua to to step into that void. God asks Joshua to to take on uh, leadership of God's people. Look at verses 2 through 5. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise. God is speaking to Joshua. Go over this Jordan you and all this people into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel, every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, and all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Let me pause there. Now, what God's Word has just given us is a verbal map uh, that God has in some ways, uh, through His Word, outlined this promised land that God has uh, promised uh, many chapters and books ago uh, to His people, Israel. And this is the land that, again, God has promised. This is the land that God has led His people to. This is the land that God will lead His people in. This is the land that Israel will be exiled from. This is the land that will make uh, appearances at Christ's first and second coming, that this is a pretty important chunk of land. And God is calling Joshua, okay, now you lead God's people into it. No pressure. And God calls Joshua uh, to lead his people into the promise that God has spoken for generations past, that he would be faithful to, that he would lead his people to, and now it's time to enter it, to occupy this land. Now, and I'm going to pause here uh, and address a question that some of you might have, that many thoughtful readers have come to the book of Joshua, or come to verses uh, like this, arise, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, go into the land that I am giving them. Now, some thoughtful readers have asked the question, whoa, wait, wait, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. God is calling his people to occupy a land that's already occupied. How is that okay? 
Some thoughtful readers have come to verses like this into the entire book of Joshua and asked, wait, is it, how can God do that? How is it okay that God would lead his people to a land that's already occupied? People are already there. And God is saying, this is the land that I have promised you. I have given it to you. Now go and conquer it. Take it. And either you have wrestled with that question or maybe people you know might wrestle through questions like that and it, and it leads them to a place of wondering, how, how can I trust a kind or quality of, of God that would command his people to do that? And if you've asked that question or people you know and love have wrestled with questions like that, it's a great question. And I want to say five things briefly. This is not necessarily the, the main point of this entire message, but I think it's important enough to take some time to speak into this question that many have had throughout, throughout history. Five things, briefly, to help answer that question. How is it okay that God would command his people to occupy an already occupied land? Number one, first thing, we have to remember God's holiness. We have to remember God's holiness, that he is holy and pure and sinless and perfect and spotless, that uh, God, I've heard another say, is, is allergic to sin, to brokenness, to evil, to wrongdoing. That God in his perfection cannot let, he cannot just look over evil or sin or wrongdoing. He cannot just let it pass by. He cannot just turn a blind eye to it. And as we remember that God is holy, we remember back uh, to the book of, actually, Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 16. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but let me just read it for you. The Lord says to Abram at this moment in redemptive history, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. Verse 16, Genesis chapter 15, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. You might ask, how in the world does that apply here? What God is saying is he is saying, Abram, soon to be Abraham, I'm promising to stay faithful to your descendants. I will provide them a land. And 400 years from now, they will return to this place because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So a part of what God is doing in sending his people into this land is rolling out his just execution of judgment against 400 years. 400 years of overt, unrepented evil and sin and wrongdoing. God is holy. And as we remember his holiness, also remember his patience in this. God says, there is evil and wrongdoing that I cannot, I cannot just glaze over. I cannot turn a blind eye to it, but I'm going to wait 400 years because of my patience. Because God always gives ample opportunity for us to turn back to him. And do you see, that's exactly what God is doing. That at the same time that God is holy and just, he's also patient and kind and long-suffering, longing that we would turn to him. So number one, remember God's holiness. Number two, remember God's mercy, his compassion. The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, merciful and just. 
Remember his mercy. That you, as you read through, if you read through the book of of Joshua, you're not going to make it past the second chapter before already seeing a glimpse of God's mercy. That at the same time that throughout the book of Joshua, a part of what's happening is God's justice is is rolling out through uh, these nations. At the same time, God extends mercy to those who turn to Him. In chapter 2 of the book of Joshua, we see Rahab, this famous character of the Bible, a prostitute, who she and her family turn to the Lord, and they are welcomed into God's covenant family. She makes an appearance in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. See God's holiness, but at the same time, God's holiness is never separated from His mercy, never separated from His compassion, His care, His love. That God is sending his people into an already occupied land to occupy it in part to, to, to carry out an expression of his justice at the same time to carry out an expression of his mercy. Rahab and her family are welcomed in. See his holiness. See his mercy. Number two. Number three, remember Israel's unique role in this story. That God is sending Israel, God's people, into this occupied land to occupy it not because they are in some way ethnically or morally superior. Neither of those are true. That God has not chosen throughout all the Old Testament uh, journey, God has not chosen Israel because they are in some way superior to the nations. There's a passage in the book of Deuteronomy uh, that's incredibly humbling. Essentially, God says to Israel, hey, I didn't choose you because you're so great. I didn't choose you because you're the largest. I didn't choose you because you're so special or distinct or different from the nations. I chose you just because I chose you. And so chose in God's mysterious mystery to carry out his purposes throughout the Old Testament, throughout scriptures, uh, through the nation of Israel. God is not sending Israel in because they are in some ways ethnically better than the nations. God is also not sending Israel in because they are in some way morally superior than the nations. That we look all throughout the Old Testament, and there are moments in Israel's journey where they are just as bad or worse than the nations, and that God, in His both fatherly compassion and desire to root out sin and wrongdoing in the lives of His people, God judges His own people too. Remember God's holiness. Remember God's mercy. Remember Israel's unique role in the story. Number four, remember the land's unique role in this story. That all throughout the Bible, we see this glimpse of God, this picture of God, that He is creator, that He is king, that He designed it all, that He engineered it all, that He owns it all. As we go through the Bible, we have to let God be God. And He has so chosen in His divine, mysterious will to promise this chunk of land to give to God's people, Israel, that all that we own is nothing that we own. All that we have is nothing that we have. All that we have, all that we own, all that we are in possession of is all on loan, stewarded, given by God, stewarded by us. That God has so chosen this chunk of land to to unroll uh, massive moments of redemptive history, and God has chosen to distribute uh, His land that He created, He designed, as He so chooses. Remember his holiness, remember his mercy, remember Israel's unique role, remember the land's unique role, and then number five, remember that this is a narrative book of the Bible. And Some of you may have heard uh, this terminology before, but this passage is descriptive, not prescriptive. 
So there are times in the Bible that God's Word is going to describe something that has happened, but is not necessarily prescribing what always should happen. So God's Word is absolutely, certainly describing a time when God is saying to His people, I want you to occupy an already occupied land. That has happened. God had commanded His people to do that. But in this narrative passage, this is not God's Word saying that all peoples at all times ought to do this in every single way under the umbrella of God's design and God's will. It's, it's descriptive. It's not prescriptive. It's not a command. So as we think through even this passage, even this chunk, and as we think through the entire book, these are the ways in which we are to uh, think through and answer the question, how could, how could God do this? How could God command his people to occupy an already occupied land? And as we look at all five of these chunks together, as we look at all five of these things, and there's probably many more, we start to see God's mysterious plan and will unfolding before our eyes. And go back again. Look again at verse 2. Look what God's word says. and almost breezes over. God says to Joshua, Now, therefore, arise, Go over this Jordan, you and all the people, into the land. And you can, Josh, you can almost hear Joshua say, hold, hold on, hold on. Go over this Jordan? <laughs> uh, this river without a bridge? This river without a ferry? This river that's too deep? This river that's too dangerous? This river that cannot be crossed? Oh, yeah, yeah, go over this Jordan. And then you're going to occupy Hold on. What do you mean go over this Jordan? <laughs> We have to see and appreciate and realize that God is not calling Joshua to lead his people into something hard. He's telling Joshua to lead his people into something impossible. One does not simply just go over the Jordan River. This is something that cannot be done. And God is giving Joshua a command that in a human sense, he cannot follow through on. He cannot do. Go over this Jordan. That's impossible. Occupy an already occupied land. That's impossible. People are already there. And we see in this command, we see in this call, God telling Joshua and his people to do something not hard, but impossible. And when that happens in Scripture, when that happens in your life and my life, when God calls us to do something that is impossible, He is asking us not to look inside and to see what we can do. He's asking us to look up and to see what He can do. Because sometimes God calls us to impossible things. Hey, Joshua, go across the Jordan. Occupy the land. But, Lord, we can't. And God says, and that's the point. That's the point. Don't, don't, don't take those moments and ask, Lord, look, look what I can do. Look at the resources. Look at the strength. Look at the energy. Look at the networks. Well, I, I'm, I'm going to pull myself up, and I'm going to do it. And God says, you're missing the point. When I call you to something impossible, don't look at what you can do. Look at what I can do, God says. And we face these all the time. We see it all throughout Scripture, don't we? Hey, Moses, cross the Red Sea. Hey, Joshua, cross the Jordan River. Hey, uh, God's people, uh, take down the walls of Jericho. Just walk around it. They'll fall down. Hey, Gideon, uh, take out the enemies. I'm only going to give you 300 soldiers. Hey, Jesus, go through the cross in the tomb. Over and over and over throughout redemptive history, God keeps leading his people 
to impossible tasks. And he does that over and over and over and over and over again for us to see over and again that it is God's purposes and God's will and God's way. We're along for the journey. He has so chosen us, his people, to carry out his work and to be on the front lines of the great, glorious, wonderful things that only God can do. He brings us to impossible tasks. You might have been in impossible situations too. A whole variety of things that perhaps God has laid before you. Perhaps you're thinking about what it means to be a faithful witness to your friends and family. And as you think about maybe a, a, a parent or a sibling or a cousin or uncle and aunt, or whatever, and, and if, if you're honest with yourself, in the quietness of your heart, you're thinking, you know what? I know, I know the Bible says, I know that Christianity says and teaches that God can save anyone, but I, I'm not so sure about brother, sister, friend, uncle, aunt. Can they really be saved? If you knew them, perhaps you're thinking, you would think too, I think it's impossible. Perhaps you've been at places in moments of, or seasons of a relationship, maybe a marriage, maybe a friendship, that you're thinking, yeah, 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 I know that God can do anything, but I'm not sure about this relationship. It's too far gone. It's too far south. There's no way that God could heal it, restore it, mend it. Perhaps you're at a place uh, in your career that you, as you're looking back, you would say, yeah, I've, I've been through hard seasons before, but this isn't just hard anymore. This is impossible. Perhaps you're looking at how to navigate uh, this world that we live in. And you're thinking, I don't know. I don't know what to do. This isn't just hard. This is impossible. Perhaps you're looking at inside at your own heart, maybe bondage to sin or brokenness, and you think, I don't know how I am going to get free. This is not something I just need to double down and add more effort. This is impossible in my own strength. And my friends, when, when all of us come to that place, and we will, when God leads us to the edge of the river that is impossible to cross, do not look inside to yourself. Look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. Look up. And remember, God is not asking us in those impossible moments, let me see what you can do. He's saying, watch what I can do. That my friends, if we come to the edge of the Jordan River and we try to give each other kind of a pep rally, hey guys, we can do it, don't worry. If we try to say, hey, we, we, we can pour in all of our wisdom, all of our expertise, all of our resources, and we can finally do it. We try to take on our giants with that mindset, we will not make it. But if we walk up to the edge of the Jordan River and we say, hey, listen, I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I do know that we do have God beside us. He knows how we're going to get through this. Do you see what that does to your heart? Do you see what that does to your soul? Do you see the, the, the optimism that that infuses, a, a sanctified, glorified version of optimism, not a pie in the sky, not wishful thinking, not just a, 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 an optimism that we're almost just speaking to ourselves, I'll be okay, I'll be okay, I'll be okay. This is not self-talk. This is God-talk. 
That he is the God that carries his people through impossible seasons, impossible bondage, impossible brokenness, impossible situations, because he's wanting to show us, look what I can do, that we might give all the glory, all the praise, all the honor to him. That's what's happening to Joshua in this moment. Hey, Joshua, God says, Moses is dead. God says to Joshua, now you're up. <laughs> Good luck. But of course, God doesn't say good luck. What does he say? When he calls Joshua and God's people to an impossible season, an impossible task, he gives him promises. Two things. God promises his presence, and God promises his word. I will be with you, and I have given you my word. I've revealed myself to you. Let's look at these two things. Look at verses uh, 5 through 9. God says to Joshua, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it. Do not turn from it, do not turn from it, do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but shall meditate it on, you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And as I read through some of these uh, verses, you might have started mentally counting, well, how many times did God say, be strong and courageous? By the way, Joshua, be strong and courageous. By the way, have I mentioned, be strong and courageous. And throughout uh, both, actually, the book of Deuteronomy and Joshua, God says to Joshua seven times, <laughs> Seven times, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Why does God say it so many times? Because Joshua's not strong and courageous. Because he needs the reminder. And I don't know about you, but when I come across truths like that, that is such an encouragement to me. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that helpful? That it's this affirmation that God keeps working through the weak, the timid, the afraid, the under-resourced, the overlooked, those who are needy. Do you know what kind of people that is describing? People like me and people like you. And God tells us over and over and over again, when he's got your toes on the edge of the Jordan River, you're about to take an impossible step and you're about to go on an impossible journey ahead of you, God says, be strong and courageous. Why? Because I'm with you. Because I'm with you. And it, and it gives us uh, this incredible comfort and reminder that strength and courage do not come from looking inside of ourselves. And my friends, that is, and I think increasing, increasingly will be, an incredibly countercultural message. You're not going to see that scrolling on social media. You're not going to see that as you're uh, watching various films. You're not going to see that in pop culture. You know what you're going to hear? 
If you want to have strength and courage, you've got to look inside yourself. Find it within you. Find your strength and courage by, by being your true self, by living out your true self no matter what anyone else says. If you want strength and courage, look inside of you. God says, don't look inside of you. <laughs> look beside you. God says to Joshua, God says to his people, you can have strength and courage. Why? Because I am with you. I'm with you. That he's right beside us. That our courage comes not from because we are so strong, because he is so strong. He's God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. God says, <laughs> you, you, can, you see the picture, Joshua and Israel standing at the edge of the Jordan. Okay, now cross it. God, how do we do that? Well, I made this river. I'll just put it on pause for a second. God leads his people through Moses to the Red Sea. God, uh, Moses says, how are we going to cross this thing? Well, I made this Red Sea. Let me just part it for you, and you can cross through on dry land. How are we going to take down these walls of Jericho? Just walk around it. I designed brick and mortar. I can, dis I can dismantle it. When God calls us to impossible things, we see what he can do, and we can see what he can do because he is right beside us, and that is what gives us strength and courage to take steps forward. He's with us every step of the way. We remember back a few, well, several weeks back, I guess at this point, we looked at the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, all nations, pretty comprehensive, isn't it? Pretty ambitious, isn't it? What comfort are we going to take in that? I will be with you always to the end of the age, that he is right beside you, no matter how dark the valley, no matter how challenging what is before you, no matter how fearful inside of you, no matter uh, the impossible milestones that you see ahead of you, no matter how big the question marks in your mind, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you, even in the valley of the shadow of death. He's with us, right beside us, going before, walking beside, following behind. He is with you always, even to the end of the age. And God promises Joshua and his people what he calls us to an impossible thing. He gives us his presence, number one. And then number two, he gives us his word. He gives us scripture. And let me skim back through some of these reminders. Be strong and courageous. Verse 7, be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Be careful to do it. Keep it close beside you. This book, God's Word, what He has given to us, meditate on it. Marinate in it. Chew on it. Read it. Memorize it. Uh, gather in small groups and study it together. Come on Sunday and listen to it preached. Uh, throw it on your, on your phone and listen to it on your commute. May this saturate every corner of your life. Because the courage, the strength and courage that we have, if it's not going to come inside of us, if it's going to come from God beside us, it also comes with God's Word with us. He's given us His presence, and He's given us His Word. I had a professor that would always say, stay close to God's Word. Stay close to it. Keep it near to you. And which ones of us would walk into an airplane 
or willingly go under the knife of a pilot or a surgeon that just skimmed the instructions, <laughs> who just scraped their way through pilot school, who just scraped their way through, you know, kind of the Cliff's Notes versions of uh, med school, a couple of YouTube videos on how to do brain surgery before you go under the knife. Don't worry, I skimmed most of this. I think I'll be, oh, no, 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 pardon me. I want a pilot, I want a doctor who meditates, who gets really nerdy about how to fly a plane and how to land a plane, <laughs> who gets really nerdy about how to do a surgery. I want them to meditate on it day and night. I want them to uh, remind themselves about it every morning and every night. I want to teach their children what, how to do these things. My friends, is it so different with us? And God has given it, his word to us. Now, look at this. This is it. This is, this is it. This is God's word to us, God's revealed will. God's, we would have not known his will unless he's told it to us. This is it. Now, I get it. There's some parts of the Bible that are hard and confusing. There's uh, uh, stuff that requires study. There's some hard things in this to make sense of. But you guys, this is it. If we spent the rest of our lives, the entirety of our lives, meditating on, memorizing, studying, understanding this book, this, this is what we need. This is all we need. This is it. Meditate on it. Be careful to do all that's commanded in it. Do not turn from the left or the right from it. And my friends, this is, a, this is somewhat of a large buildup to this point of the message to affirm one of the values that we have had, we do have, and Lord willing, as long as we have air in our lungs, will have here at Village Church. We want to be a people, a community of believers, a church rooted in, foundation on God's Word, that it would be absolutely everything to us timeless authority, our perfect guide, something that we will teach and follow in all things, something that we would ask before every meeting, God guide us, something that would shape and mold every ministry, every lesson, every sermon, every outing, every activity, something that would shape and mold all of our processes of, of discerning uh, leaders and, and, and seeking to do what God has called us to do. My friends, uh, we here in church circles come to this whole mission, vision, value process uniquely. We're not here in some ways to invent something that's new. We're here in some ways to stay faithful to what God has already given and we, this is a value to us, a foundational value that if, if you took this away from us, Village Church would cease to exist as we know it. God's Word. Joshua needed it. Moses needed it. King David needed it. The psalmist and all the various psalmists, they needed God's Word. We need God's Word, and He has given it to us. May we follow it. May we be careful to do what is written in it. Do not turn from the left or to the right from it. And this, is my, this my friends, this, this is how we can have a genuine strength for what God has called us to do. Genuine guidance, genuine hope that when God calls us to do something not hard, impossible. We can take comfort and we can have hope because he's given us his presence and he's given us his word.
May we stay faithful to it and draw strength from it. Let's pray. Father, we are just reminded of all the truths that you say of your own word, a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Lord, that your word is a, a surgeon's knife, it cuts deep in our hearts to sanctify and to purify. Lord, your word is a hammer that breaks stone. It's a, it's a fire that ignites in us. Lord, you speak, and that which is not created comes into existence. Lord, at your word, Lazarus came forth. Lord, at your word, trees came forth, oceans and skies and galaxies. You've put your spirit in us to illumine and bring back to mind all that you have said. So, Father, knowing that you're right next to us, knowing you've revealed yourself to us, as we look to the days and weeks and months and years to come, may we have strength and courage. May we be strong and courageous for the path ahead of us, not because we are so great, but because you are. So, Father, we, we give you the glory and help us to give you the glory every step of the way as we seek your will to be done. Amen. Thank you for listening to Village Church of Gurney's podcast. If you would like to know more about Village Church, you can go to our Facebook page under Village Church of Gurney or go to www.bcgurney.org.